as, as Caroline so wonderfully shared with us this morning, uh, we're, we're looking at uh, this series, Ten Commandments, uh, Rules to Live By, which is the, the term I've, I've dubbed the series. Um, but, but it's so fitting. Uh, these are rules that God has given us for our good and for the good of mankind. Uh, and this morning, uh, we're looking at uh, the subject of, uh, of, of murder. Uh, you shall not uh, murder. And uh, when I was writing up my notes, I was tempted to say, and the message this morning is, do not murder. We all get that. And so our closing hymn is, um, because it's so obvious. We know that it's so wrong. But as, uh, as Tony so wonderfully helped uh, Caroline this morning uh, in this, it, it, Jesus develops it. And so let's have a look at those verses again that Tony read to us a little bit earlier. In Matthew chapter 5, and verses 21 to 22. Now, the last time out we were talking about do not commit adultery. Uh, tough, tough subject. Uh, painful subject. Uh, and of course, Jesus developed that where he says not, not, not only uh, is it wrong to commit adultery. Adultery, of course, doesn't start in the bedroom. It starts in the mind. Uh, and so um, you just be very careful in terms of the way that we use our eyes, the way that we use our thoughts. And so Jesus, in a similar way, develops this. Uh, to talk about murder doesn't start just in the action, it actually starts with a thought. Uh, and so, uh, if we read uh, Matthew 5, 21 and 22, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And as, as Caroline mentioned this morning, all of us here have got a problem with this commandment because all of us get uh, angry. And I don't know about you, but um, I, I just sense that the world's getting angrier. Would you, would you agree with that? Um, I, I was coming down Haladellin just the other day, uh, Sue and I would come back quite early in the morning, uh, and uh, we had to stop for a car in front of us. It's just by treetops. Do you know where I am on Haladell in there? And as you know, going down from treetops, there's a, there's, a, there's a hill, isn't there? And you can't see what's coming up. So I'm slowing down because the car in front of me is slowing down. The guy behind me pulls out, speed straight past me, and then Tony Neat waves to me. And I'm thinking, oh, dear me. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. It, no, it wasn't Tony Neat, no, in, all, in all fairness. No, it, it, was, it was Sheila Burr. Um, she was on her way to a prayer meeting. Um, no. I, 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 I must be honest, I, um, it happened, the same thing happened to, it's it probably because of my driving probably, but it, the same thing happened to Sue and me uh, yesterday, uh, and we, we were out in the car, and uh, we were going down past the, the you know the past, going past the museum, you've got the museum on the right, and you're coming towards the set of lights, and you, there's two arrows uh, that can, you can go straight on in, in both the lanes, and, but this poor guy, he was going straight on in the right-hand lane, but wanted to be in the left-hand lane, so he indicated, and this car that was in front of us sped up, so he couldn't get into that lane, toots the horn, gives him very elaborate gestures uh, with, with their hands. And I'm, and I'm saying to Sue, what is it with that guy? What an idiot to behave like that. So we're going left. We follow them. They then go into the right hand lane, look to cross. It's not a bloke. It's a woman. I'm looking at this woman, the face of thunder. 
and all this guy had done was indicate to go left. How dare he? What is it that makes us react like that? Um, in the prayer time before the service this morning, I talked about buttons. Uh, and um, there are some things that can just press our button and just get us to act in a way that you think, where on earth did that? It's almost like the volcanic button. You hit that button, all of a sudden there's this uh, eruption. So we're going to look at um, anger this morning. Uh, and the first thing I want to say uh, is, is that, as co- according to Scripture, anger isn't necessarily bad. Okay? In Scripture, anger is actually quite neutral. Uh, of all the hundreds of references to anger in the Old Testament, most of them attributed to God. God was angry. Now we know that God is righteous. God is holy. So anger in itself is not necessarily a sin if it's righteous anger. Um, Jesus, uh, when he was driving out the traders from the temple, it was righteous anger. Our problem, I guess, is that often our anger isn't righteous, it's just plain nasty. Uh, When I talk to other pastors in my role as a regional pastor over the last couple of years, uh, when I talk to uh, a lot of pastors, one of the things, one of their greatest dreads is the church meeting. Uh, Because people who pray beautiful prayers on a Sunday turn into something green. Uh, at these church meetings and feel that they've got this holy license to be absolutely brutal with their words. And you think, what is that about? You know, because we're not talking here about them outside, those, you know, those people, those pagans out there who know nothing about Jesus. We're talking about us. We're talking about us who've got a heart in our chest and we have this capacity to be wonderful and say kind things, but actually we also have this capacity uh, to be so Brutal. Anger is something that scares me. Um, I see what anger does uh, to people. Um, I just, let me just give you one example. Uh, this is according to the Women's Aid Charity. Uh, one in four women uh, will be a victim of domestic violence in their lifetime. Uh, many of these on a number of occasions. Interestingly, one in six men Uh, will be a victim of domestic violence. One incident of domestic violence is reported to the police every minute. Every minute. On average, two women a week are killed by a current or former male partner. Um, And much of this is fueled by anger, by, by rage. And the sad truth is that we know that this happens in Christian homes too. And it could be happening to you as you sat here this morning. And, and nobody will know because you, you're too ashamed or you're too afraid to say anything. And, and, and I just want to say to you this morning, um, please don't be ashamed. You talk to somebody. Nobody has the right to hurt you, uh, whether physically or verbally or sexually. It's called abuse. And they can tell you that they love you, but actually... If they love you, they won't behave like that. And so my, my word to you this morning is, is, is simple in the sense of if this is happening to you or if it's happened to you in the past and you need, you need to share this with other people, then please find a Christian friend here you can share that with. Come and talk to Sue. Come and talk to, 
myself. Come and talk to John or, or another member of the leadership team. Just, just talk to us about this stuff because this stuff happens in church. Just like we were talking about adultery uh, the last time out. It happens to us. Can I also say to you that if you recognize that there's buttons are pressing you where you uh, are violent uh, in any way to, to your spouse or to, or to others, seek help. Seek help. Um, get help, help for this because uh, if, if it doesn't, it, uh, it'll just develop and it'll just get, it'll just get worse. I, I'm just going to give you a quote um, from, um, from somebody called Og Mandino. I, I thought it was such a lovely quote, I'd, I'd share it with you. It says, I will waste not even a precious second today in anger or hate or jealousy or selfishness. I know that the seeds I sow I will harvest because every action, good or bad, is always followed by an equal reaction. I will plant only good seeds this day. Should we read that again? We're all bringing about a harvest. All of us. Pray to God there's a harvest of righteousness, yeah? I will waste not even a precious second today in anger or hate or jealousy or selfishness. I know that the seeds I sow I will harvest because every action, good or bad, is always followed by an equal reaction. I will plant only good seed this day. What I want us to do now is I want us to look at the correlation between anger and words. Uh, angry uh, <laughs> words. Um, have a look at these verses. Uh, but I tell you that anyone who is angry uh, with his brother will be subject to judgment. And then see how very quickly Jesus links anger with words. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. When Jesus develops the theme of murder, he moves to anger. And then he moves to words. Uh, they're intrinsically linked. Um, the term Raka was a strong term uh, to put people down in, in Jesus' day. And I'm sure we can think of similar terms uh, used today and they're all ugly they're all meant to malign and to demean so I want us to have a look uh, at uh, one of uh, Caroline's uh, favorite authors in the scripture the apostle Paul um, in Ephesians chapter 4 and they're going to come up on the the screen but follow along in your Bible um, Ephesians 4 25 to 32 and to see the link between anger and uh, words within this passage so Paul writes, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Um, in your anger, do not sin. There it is again, the neutrality of anger. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be sinful, but for us, often it is. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. As somebody once said, said uh, you don't sleep off anger, you sleep it in. Uh, don't go to bed angry and do not give the devil a foothold he who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands 
that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And in verse 29, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Very interesting term, um, that word unwholesome. Uh, it was a word given uh, on the um, fish dock uh, for fish that was rotting. The fish that was rotting was unwholesome. And, uh, and Jesus is saying, don't let rotten stuff come out. Don't let stuff come out of you that pollutes you and pollutes uh, the other person. Because that's what happens when we have these angry words that come out of us. People get damaged. Everyone gets damaged. The people who are on the receiving end get hurt. And sadly, what I've discovered is that if people get told often enough that they're rubbish, that they begin to believe that they're rubbish. Be so careful what you say. But the people who speak like this are damaging themselves too. They're giving the enemy permission to take ground in the heart. We saw that in verse 26. In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I've talked about this a lot. See, when we sin, um, not, not only are we um, saddening Jesus Christ and, uh, and God the Father and God the Spirit, we're also giving territory to the enemy. Which is why it becomes easier to sin next time. Because we're handing over authority of our heart to our enemy. Now why would anybody do that? But that's what we do. And so what happens is that they take more territory of your heart. And your heart, instead of becoming this, this incredible thing it is, it becomes like a walnut. Small, gnarled, hard. The damage it does to yourself is quite remarkable. How do you regain that territory, well, it's quite simple. It's the language of Scripture. You confess your sin. And I think what's important there is that you don't say a generic prayer. You need to confess the things that you've done or the words that you've said. Maybe write them out. I've actually done this. I've had the practice of uh, when I've been confessing to God, confessing exactly what it is I need to confess, not some sort of generic term that actually doesn't make me feel as bad as I need to. I need to face and confront the issues that I'm confessing. The other thing that Scripture encourages us to do is to confess it to a brother or sister. Now, some of us might think, well, that sounds a bit Catholic. I think the Catholics have got that so right. This whole idea about being transparent about the state of our heart. And so they confess it to a godly person. When you do that, there is a reaction within you that would want to stand back um, and think, Oh my goodness, I don't want to do that again because that was actually so embarrassing. I've been married for 37 years this year, and, uh, and Sue has said she's enjoyed three of them, um, and, and those three are the ones to come. Um, 
I, I know how dangerous words are. I, I've said things to Sue in the past that I'd give anything to take back. But you can't. And, and the thing with mean words, and, and be careful with jest, guys. As you know, I love fun and whatever. Sometimes saying things in fun, they, they hurt almost as much. So I, I've had to learn to try and be more careful with the way I use my words, especially with my wife. Because the stuff that comes in through our years, especially the nasty stuff, it don't go away easily. It stays with you. You sit with it. You begin to think, is that what they think I am? And what, what happens is that this, this beautiful relationship that, that God has called you to, it, it tends to fracture. I mean, before you know it, it's, it, it's, it's that that's happening instead of, instead of that. The power of words. Yeah, you, you've heard me say many a time, you know, the, the saying when we were kids, sticks and stones will hurt my bones, but names will never hurt me. We know it's absolute garbage. They, they hurt us so much. And, and um, I was reading an article uh, this week, came through my news feed, and halfway, halfway down, um, the person that was commenting on it is a member of our church. And I think, oh, that's so, that's so neat, isn't it, you know, that they're commenting on it. And what they were talking about uh, was the way that social media is being used uh, in, uh, I, I must, I'm a big fan of the internet, okay, I, I, I would be lost without the internet, but so much within the, the internet can be used destructively, uh, and the words, whether by text, uh, or through on Facebook, or, or whatever, that, that can just cripple people. My mum, God bless her, uh, used to say to me uh, when I used to get angry when I was a child, she said, Dave, she said, before you say anything, count to ten. And she said, if you're still, if you're still angry, keep counting. <laughs> it's wise words, aren't they? Because we say stuff. And afterwards we think, oh my goodness, I wish I could take that back. But you can't. It's in there. It's been planted. And... and yeah, just, just, just be careful. Um, angry words. Uh, I want you also to see the link between anger and bitterness. Um, Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness. Rage and anger. Bitterness is right next to rage and anger. Brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Again, the use of words. Be kind and compassionate to others, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you you. Uh, I'm going to suggest that often people are angry because they've allowed bitterness to gnarl their heart. And that usually happens because they refuse to forgive somebody. And we see that link uh, with anger and forgiveness uh, in these verses. It said, get rid of all bitterness and then forgive each other. And uh, I, I can't remember who said it now, but forgiveness seems a great idea until you've got somebody to forgive. And I, I, I try not to be trite in what I say to you because I, I try to be real. Some of you have, stuff, have had stuff done to you that I, I don't know how you begin to forgive. But God says to you, if you don't forgive... You lose who I created you to be. 
If you don't forgive, the damage to you will be unbelievable. It's, it's a heart disease that sets in, that so affects you, uh, that you can't be the person that you want to be, let alone what God wants you to be, because it's just grabbed your heart. Forgiveness is so difficult. But if we become bitter, it eats away at our soul. It's like an acid. Just drip, drip, drip. That's when I was cleaning the caravan yesterday with Sue. And, um, and we've got some indicators on the side of the, on the van. And, uh, and they're really lovely indicators, in all fairness. Uh, they're like little bear years, they are, uh, that come out. But what's fascinating is that the water comes on top of them and then comes underneath and then drips down the van. And they've changed the colour of the van where that happens. It was so annoying. I had to get Sue to clean that bit because she cleans so much better than I do. And you're rubbing it and rubbing it and rubbing it and rubbing it and you still have this stain. Just the drip, drip, drip. And that's what bitterness does to your heart. It colors your heart in a way that you don't want. And you have to rub it and rub it and rub it and rub it and keep working and keep working and keep working at it. And you realize that actually nothing's changed. Your heart is still gnarled and your heart is still hard because you can't do it by just gritting your teeth. You have to grit your teeth and come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't do this. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. And we say, Holy Spirit, by your grace, would you please take the bitterness away and help me to forgive this person who's damaged me in this way. And the remarkable thing is, is that when we give our determination and we give our hearts to God in that kind of confession and that kind of plea, he's able to rub away some of that stain that we know is there in our hearts. You might say to me, Dave, I, I, I know it says this in the Bible, but I just can't do it. And I get that, I, I, I get that. But I'd point you to this verse in, chapter, in verse 32, when it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Because um, I've had to forgive people some pretty big things, to be honest, over the years. Pretty big things. And I've had to go to God and say, God, I can't do this, you can Help me, please, by your strength to be able to forgive these people. And um, it's not an overnight thing. It doesn't happen just with one prayer. Not for me, it doesn't anyway. But it's this determination to keep coming to God and just saying, God, will you please, please. You see, because when you realize how much God has forgiven you, it opens the door of possibility for you to forgive somebody else. Uh, we're going to come around the table shortly. And, and that speaks about forgiveness, which I can't even comprehend. And because I've been forgiven, it gives me that possibility of forgiving others. Sometimes our bitterness 
isn't with other people. Sometimes our bitterness is with God. I thought Caroline touched on this this morning. Cain was miffed with God. Don't even look at my offering. How come it's always about evil? And we get on our high horse and we pretend we're God. And we put God in the dock. Which I thought you did really well uh, this morning. Because that's what we do. And so Cain wasn't miffed with Abel. I'm sure he was miffed with Abel. But he was particularly miffed with God. And he took it out on Abel. Fascinating, one of my favorite uh, little prophecies in the Old Testament is Jonah. And you see Jonah, this man of God, who's absolutely incensed with God. Furious with God. Why? Because God dared to love a group of people that he didn't love. They deserve God's judgment and God wants to bless them. Oh my goodness, how many Christians have you seen with placards up about hating homosexuals or hating Muslims or hating this or hating that? And God weeps. But we justify our hatred. And because God doesn't act the way that we want to act, we get angry with him. Or what about last week? Ali brilliantly communicated with us. Uh, about those lost objects or the, and the lost son. Uh, and we love, the, we love the picture of, of the father who's the, it was God in the story. And he runs out and he embraces, he embraces the lost son. But the older brother is really miffed with the dad. He can't stand, the, he can't stand his brother. His brother's just, he, he's, he's, he's just scum. How dare you, dad? Kill the fattened calf and embrace scum. And he's furious with the father. How many of us have got really bitter with God? Because he dares to love people that we don't. That he dares to forgive people their sins when their sins have been heinous. And we set ourselves up as God. And we put God down because he dares to have more grace and more love and more compassion than we have. You see it all the time in church. And it's ugly. It's destructive. But it's there. I, I, I remember um, being so angry with God. I've shared this with you before. I want elaborate on it much, but I was so angry with God. Uh, when a close friend of mine, uh, I, I, I went through Bible college with him, he, and he died. He fell off a cliff face trying to help somebody else. His equipment broke. They just had a baby. Just been accepted to be a teacher at a, a missional college in Brazil. I screamed at God. I was in a rage with God. God, you, you can do anything. You could have stopped that buckle from breaking. God, you could, have, you could have got him to land on something soft. Why, why, God? Why, God? And we rage, don't we? Why, God? Why, God? Why, God? Like one of those toys, you just pull something in the back and out it comes. Is why, 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 why? And I've, sh- I've shared with you before that when I was at college, we had this amazing woman. How often is it that the really spiritual people are often women? Guys, there's something not right there. 
Um, I, I love the fact that we have spiritual women, but guys, don't we need spiritual men to lead our homes, to be leaders in our workplace? But anyways, this woman, she's half a pint, she made Sue look tall, right? Um, and she stood, she stood behind the lectern. We didn't, know she, we didn't know she was there until she started speaking. And then somebody brought a box. And she stood, literally stood on the box so we could see her just peering up above, above the lectern. And she talked about her life in, in giving her, she was a medical doctor and she, and she was a, a missionary out in Africa and, and she talked about giving and giving and giving and, and seeing so little fruit and then one day um, some armed rebels came and they savaged, uh, savaged the, the, the mission station that she was at and the, and the women were given special treatment if you know what I mean and she was given special treatment again and again and she's there talking to us, and, and honestly, there is not a dry eye in the place because this woman is talking about this experience of serving God and this horrendous thing happening. And then she talked, she said these words about um, learning to thank God for the things that she'd never understand. And I'm sat the thing, I'm not in, I, I'm not worthy to be in the same room as a woman with this kind of faith. Because so often my, my sentence, all, all, all it does is just end with why, and she's asking God to be able to say thank you for the things that has been entrusted to her that she'll never understand. And then, wow, that's faith of another kind. And perhaps, perhaps, just perhaps, it, it's why she took this little bundle of a woman who'd been so savaged by these men who then gets back on the plane, goes back to Africa and starts serving, and reaps a harvest of incredible souls, won to Christ. And you think, oh my goodness, is there any purpose or whatever? I have no idea. All I know is that even from our deepest pain and wreckage, God is able to build something beautiful. It's an incredible truth. But often we won't allow ourselves to see the fruit because we just become so bitter. I mean, we can be bitter about all sorts of things. So, are you angry with God? Yeah. I was a church pastor and I, I rocked up and did sermons and I was so furious with God. You can be sat there in the pews and, and you can be so angry with God, nobody would know. <coughs> All you know is that there's acid that's dripping into your heart and you know that you're not the same person anymore. You don't laugh the way that you used to laugh. You're more cynical. Somehow you prize cynicism now because you think you're somehow more mature and more developed. Cynicism is overrated, guys. It's, it's just a another example of acid affecting your heart scream out to God that's what the psalmist did they told God exactly how they felt God's quite secure on his throne that's what I did I told him how rubbish I thought it was and over a period of three years probably he started to replace the wise with the um, thank you God that you are God you know what you're doing I haven't got a clue 
I lo don't you love these Christians who have always got this idea that there's going to be this lovely neat bow at the end of life and we'll understand these things. I, 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 I haven't got the same bow. I, I, I actually think that life is so ragged that we, we just will probably never know. But yeah, we can trust him. Because what I've learned is that God is good and he's good all the time. And you might say, that's trite, Dave. That's a statement of faith there. And I have seen stuff, I've touched stuff, I've felt stuff that frankly I don't ever want to touch again. But I'm likely to in my role. But I'm going to say, God, I, I trust you. you. You know the end from the beginning. Uh, there's, there's no accident where it says that he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And when I get a bit hazy, when I get a bit foggy, I keep coming back to the cross. And if I, if I ever doubt about God's love, I go back, I go back to Calvary, and I, I go back to Gethsemane, and I go back to those decisions that he made in totally being obedient to the Father so that you and I can be part of his family forever. If you ever doubt that love, just go back to Calvary. Uh, and look, I've got to wrap up, but... Uh, there's um, this great book um, called Total Forgiveness. Uh, it's a series uh, by R.T. Kendall, uh, a wonderful man of God, great communicator of the gospel. Um, and uh, in one of these books, it's uh, called Totally Forgiving Yourself. Because some of us can't. You might have done something. Or you may not have done something. Um, and it doesn't matter how many times you read in the scripture that God has forgiven you. You just can't accept it for yourself. Because you deserve punishment. That's what you've, what's what you've worked out. Hey, newsflash. We all deserve punishment. That's why Christ died for us. But Christ died for us so that we wouldn't be punished but we would be saved. That we would be healed. That we'd be reconciled. I don't care what it is that you've done. I don't care what stuff you're ashamed of. I tell you what. You are not irredeemable. You're not without hope. Christ has died for your sins. Full stop. Christ can heal you. Christ wants to heal you. Christ is not ashamed of you. Christ is passionate about you. He's passionate about me. For years I suffered with self-worth. Nobody would have known it because I'm just a chopsy whatever. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't take my eyes off the stain of sin in my heart. Because, you know, when we're honest with ourselves, we know the stain that's there. But somehow I'd elevated the stain above God's power to heal it and cleanse it. <laughs> the enemy does a number on us. And then one day, I was stood preaching here. Uh, it was one of the first times that John and Sally ever came into this church. And, and, and your pastor is crying his eyes out. Because for the first time ever, I'd seen that God's grace is greater than the sin that I have in my heart. 
it was like stepping out of a wilderness and straight into paradise. See, because your head can't do that for you. It's got to be a heart thing where you realize just how powerful the blood of Christ is. It cleans away all sin. Even yours. Even mine. So I want to finish uh, with these verses. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Shall we pray?